Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Alex Weber. And Alex has a new book out called Fail Proof, Become the Unstoppable You. And Alex was a lacrosse player who decided he wanted to explore being a stand-up comedian, which landed him a job at American Ninja Warrior. And then the second season, the producers thought it would be a great idea if Alex himself on national television started running the course. And I think through this process and quest and pursuit, Alex learned a lot, uh, not only here, but in his life. And so the notion of becoming unstoppable is just the idea of dealing with our fears and anxieties, setting goals, and not letting fear hold us back from trying. And you wanna talk about a positive person, who, you know, he's fighting the good fight every day. So it's not like I think Alex flies out of bed and he's like, oh, isn't, you know, it's always sunny. I think this is a person who's making conscious efforts to take advantage and make the best out of each moment. Enjoy. Well, I, I read your book, uh, your Fail Proof book, and um, I'm always fascinated because I, I doing, doing this show, I read a ton of books, right, when I have anyone. Yeah. And I think people have the misconception of thinking, oh, he wrote this book. He's at this level of success. He's, you know, he's done all these things, whether it was coaching lacrosse or, um, you know, working on digitally, you know, TV for Ninja Warrior for NBC or doing something really difficult like, you know, Ninja Warrior that, oh, it's, he's got it figured out. And that's why he's writing the book. What I have been seeing over and over is it's the people that are really, uh, in touch with the fact that some parts of some of this have been really hard and then they they really found ways to work it out and then, then they want to write the book. Not, I've got it dialed, let me tell you how I do it, but actually conversely the yeah. other. And that shows up a lot in your book. And I also want to say that another thing I really appreciate about this book besides being really honest is that you do have science and like your experience I think it's really important. Sometimes when we don't take, we take it all on, right? Like we go, what's wrong with me? And sometimes it's realizing like we're sort of born with certain mechanisms in place 
and this is how they can show up. And so I, I did really appreciate um, that part of it. So I want to get right into it. First of all, uh, writing a book is, is a lot of work. So why did you, what were you hoping, was it your own cathartic experience or what were you hoping for people to get from your book? You know, when you said cathartic experience, that is uh, very much the truth. And I really appreciate, first off, thank you for reading it. Uh, that's, you know, I've done a lot of interviews and I don't have that expectation um, because I know how busy everyone is, but so I, that just means a lot to me. So thank you. And, and for saying the kind words. And I really relate to what you said of by no means have I figured anything out, but I, I do think I'm figuring it. And what I think has really helped me is that these, what I've talked about in the book, I'm using like literally right now, whether it's dealing with professional hopes and fears, or like I screwed up in my personal life this weekend and I'm using it there too. So like. Right. No, wait, you don't get to say that. Alex. Oh, you don't get to say you screwed up. Is this, is this a romantic or a friendship? Like, what does that mean? It was just. A habit. You don't have to give names, but you know. <laughs> it was just, it was a habit that I thought I had outgrown and moved on from. And, you know, I use this expression in the book, the river current of life. And I just got caught up in the river current. I wasn't thinking. And I let like an old habit of me come back to life. And I'm just really disappointed in that because, and I guess that's where I go to like, I'm figuring it out. I definitely don't have it figured out. But, you know, one thing that I was really thankful for is when writing this book is because I think, you know, on paper, people call me a motivational speaker, which I don't really know what that term means. And I think it's like easy to eye roll at that. And it seems like corny. And, you know, I'm like goofy and jumping on the cover. Like, I think it could be viewed corny. And that's my, I guess, biggest soft spot is because I want this to be honest and uh, the truth and, and what kept me honest, I think, is that while I was writing it was also while I was competing to training to compete on American Ninja Warrior. So literally all day I would write this book for like eight hours and then I'd be like, you know, face your fears, step up, all this stuff. And then I'd get in the car, go to ninja training and these incredible athletes would be like, all right, climb up two stories and do this. And then I'd rewrite things because I'm like, oh, no, it actually feels like this. So I'm grateful for that because I feel like it made me put my money where my mouth is a little bit. You know, you talk a lot in the book about, you know, this, you're sort of in your inside voice. You know, some people would call it the reptilian brain. And I, I think all of us have it, period. And if anyone says they don't, I, either they're in the flow state. So either they're in a moment that they don't have that opportunity. And that's why they really, you know, kind of, I think people really thrive or appreciate the flow state because it is that synchronicity with your your whole being is synchronized. So when you're doing, um, what was it like the double dipper or what is it called? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, no, okay. you know so it. Like yeah. yeah. So like you're doing that in a way, maybe right before you're, you're like, okay, I don't know. Can you do it if you fail and people are watching and you talk a lot about that, but you said something that really stuck out to me, which was that you also saw the other you even so, even if let's say when you were younger and you were going through challenges, you said simultaneously though you could see the other you, the confident you, the capable you. You know, maybe you could just share that because I, I think that's such a like a beautiful point and to remind people too. I appreciate that, and I'm I'm curious to hear your experience. You know, playing in such incredibly elite and intense settings. 
but you know, one one that really drove it home to me was I remember playing college lacrosse. That was my dream growing up. And I played D1 Ivy League. And I just remember being in the locker room before a game and looking over at a teammate who was smiling and laughing and excited to have fun playing. And I just remember feeling like, that looks amazing. Like, why can't I be excited? Why can't I have fun? Why am I in such a state of like, succeed or die? And and I knew that I wanted to have fun, but like, you know, you can't just be like, have fun now. It's, uh, and so that was one that I'll never forget that because it really just stuck with me of realizing that to perform well, which is what we all want, you don't necessarily need to be in this like intense life or death critical all or nothing state. And in fact, that that can actually hurt us. Well, it's an interesting point because, you know, you if you take a collection of athletes in any sport, some, um, and there's actually, I, and I've talked about this a lot, there's a book by Rich Devinney called The 25 Attributes. And what it talks about is like skills, and then you're born with certain attributes and how you might have some people as a part of the, and this is a military point of view, that like that actually that class clown, like, hey, you know, sort of attitude can be really helpful in an intense situation. Same with sports. But I also think we all get worked up differently. Some people get very quiet. Some people get silly. Some people get really intense. So I, I do think we have unique ways of, of showing that. But it is interesting how if we're not in war, right? I mean, playing on the field in that moment, it is like a mini war. But how do we get, I call it the rack focus, right? So how do we get like, this is the most important thing. And then like, hey, chill out. Okay, this is the most important thing, chill out. So I I would imagine like when you're doing Ninja Warrior, when you're on the sidelines, burning down and out in intensity probably doesn't help you. Do you, did you find a way to be like, okay, I'm chill. And then as you're walking up the stairs to get going, okay, do you get into that intense focus? Like, did you have, did you learn these gears? Yeah. And I love what you said too, of like rack focus. That's really cool. Yeah. The, you know, I think one thing for better or worse, but I think it's for better is that American Ninja Warrior is also an entertainment TV show. And so, you know, no one really wants to see anyone you want to see people having fun doing the course and kind of putting on a show. And so I think knowing that, and especially coming from a host to competitor where hosting, it was like, you're supposed to put on the show, you know? So I think that was a big realization of like, I just know those two sides of me and I could feel myself falling that, you know, maybe wanting to go in the trap, especially my first year of like intense, whatever. And it's like, nobody wants to see that. No, and I know what I look like. I've seen enough videos. Nobody needs to see me, you know, tapping my fingers and getting crazy eyes. And like, uh, and so I think just realizing that you can be having fun, you can cheer on with your teammates, which actually helps you. And then what really helped me with Ninja Warrior was just because it's so technical, just immediately focus on the next thing you have to do. And that really helped me a lot because it kind of took all the strobe light craziness and just brought it back to like foot here, hand here. I have to wonder how does a person going, go from doing, yes, okay, athletics, lacrosse at a high level, stand-up comedy, you know, with a friend, you know, hosting Ninja Warrior to, oh, now I'm, I'm going to compete because where, where's the starting thread? Like I wouldn't even know where to begin because it's not like we're saying, okay, pick up ping pong or even tennis where 
it's just different. This is a highly physical, you know, gymnastics, body strength. I mean, there's a lot of very difficult parts of the athletics in these events. What's the starting point? How do you do that? Yeah. And I love that. And I, you know, so you, you hit on something and, and first off, I, I feel like you would crush it. I think we got to get you at a, at a ninja gym. I'm, I'm six, three. I would get hammered. I would be crushed so hard there. And when I see that, it's like, when I watch gymnastics, it's like another language. I'm like the mathematics, the physics on that, my lever length, like even just to pull my body up, I'd be like, okay, one minute, you know, forget it. Cause I I'm optimistic on that. But I, don't I think what was <laughs> you got the reach. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I might get. That might be good for one obstacle, maybe if I could even get there. But but I, I guess because I, what I like to encourage people to do is like, how do we learn new things? Like you know that are maybe not in our wheelhouse. Yeah, yes. And I I think unless you were a gymnast. Um, or parkour possibly how ninja warrior is not in too many people's sort of natural wheelhouse so how does a person who yes you have athletic background but it's not really in your wheelhouse how do you what's your mindset and then the practical starting point how do you do that you you nailed it and so what was crazy was you know before competing on american ninja warrior and before hosting i Played Division One lacrosse. I won U.S. Lacrosse High School Coach of the Year. I played in the World Cup of Lacrosse. So it was basically going from being an expert in a world to immediately being a beginner, and not just a beginner, but like a very public, sucking, humbling beginner. Where you know there'd be hundreds of people watching my bosses, the other competitors, and then they put it online for millions of people. So it was intense, uh, but. What really switched over was one, expectations changed. So like my goal first was a host and to just entertain and fail. But then my bosses first had the idea that, you know, what if you started to get good at this? And that change of expectations altered everything because now I had a new goal, which was to get good at this. And I will say that what was, what was helpful was I knew how to commit to something from lacrosse you know, which, which you would have from your athletic background. But now it was just like, all right, now I got to commit. And the biggest, the most difficult part of what I've realized is where most people stop is the judgment is the judgment from other people or from ourselves. Meaning we go, we try to pick up guitar or, you know, we want to become more creative or we do want to learn American Ninja Warrior, pick up cycling or what it might be. But somewhere along the line, like I want to pick up cycling here in Boulder, like mountain bike riding. Cool. Okay. Even to go through that, I'm going to have to go to the cycle store. I'm probably going to feel a little embarrassed because I got to be like Joe Newby over here, like asking about what bikes to use. I don't even know how to put a bike on a rack, like all these different steps that there's an opportunity to quit at each one of these steps. And usually because of judgment, not because of anything real. It's interesting. And you wonder, is the self-judgment or the outside judgment? Um, and, and I want to remind people, if you want to take on something new, right? And if you, especially when you're around 
a group or person who's already doing it. At times, everybody wants to feel like what they're doing is so special. So they also want to convey to you how hard it is, how long it's going to take, all these things sometimes, because it also validates something that might be important to them. Now, always the coolest people or the most badass are like, oh, it's awesome. Let me show you how to do it. I'll share it with you. But I just want to remind people that sometimes when we take things on, regardless, they are challenging. If you get the wrong person who just wants to, you know, kind of like what I do is very hard. You know, I don't know if you can do it. Those are not the people you want to help you. The other is it's the person who is so fluid and so good. And they're like, awesome, let me help you because they're secure enough in what they're doing. And this, this goes across the board in everything, whether it's language, music, sport, what have you. And I, and hopefully you run into the, or I should say, seek out the people that will be like, Hey, you got this. You know, like, let me tell you also what you might be experiencing and how to get around that. So I think, I think that's really important. And, and so, and I, you got to love TV producers. I know this season was season two, right? Let's have you be good. Like they just snap their fingers. Like why don't, now you should be good at these courses. It's like, oh, okay. I thought I was just supposed to be good on live TV. Um, so you have, there was something that you said when we were, when you, you write about, um, becoming good at something. And hopefully you're okay if I, I, I oh, say the, the list. So you talk about, you know, claiming your goals. And, and it, to you, is that sort of like to yourself and to others? Is that a written down in addition to like, when you say claim your goals, I mean, that, that sounds sort of very big to me. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that's, uh, gosh, I, I just think that, you know, goal setting is obviously very important, but I think there's something very different about I wrestle with this too of deserving. And so I think there's kind of two parts of it. One is us actually stating like, this is possible, meaning like, okay, you want to run a triathlon. Okay. So claiming that goal, not just kind of having it in like ethereal, maybe ideal land, but writing it down somewhere, claiming it for yourself. I am running a triathlon. And the other part of that, and this is something for me is, so you have the possibility that this could be real. And then there's just been this negative voice in me for my whole life. And I've really been working on it these last years that the only way I can put it is just, it says, no, it just either says it can't be that good. You don't deserve it. Why would you have this? It's just, it has no grounding and it's evil and it's been with me my entire life. And so claiming it to me, even now I wrestle with it, with the book and and my goals for the book and And the biggest obstacle I really think is me deciding in my heart that I am worthy of this being a success. And, and that's really where I think claiming it is that that's, that's the value of it to me. Do you think part of claiming also is when you get the calling to something or a project or the book or the desire for an outcome of something that you, if your intentions are, are pretty sh- aligned and, you know, come from a good place and you say, okay, I'm going to bust my butt and be strategic because I, I want to follow up. You, you say also, then it's getting started. You've got to dive in. Like you actually have to start, get going. Yeah. You, you talk about how to get better in, in hyperdrive how to grow and then the level of commitment, right? So you, you, the thing is you spell all this out. So when people, if, you know, if they want to use this as a tool, it is also distributed through the book in a very systematic way. But what I was saying is sometimes like if I have something and I really do want to crush it, 
which is kind of almost counter to my personality. Really? You know, like I'll say like, yeah. oh, well, a little bit like, oh, let's just do the best work we can. And I'm not worried about the outcome. But that's also sort of in some ways disingenuine. The point is, is I always feel like if we really do all these other things, like you stated there earlier in these steps, that the best outcome is going to happen anyway. And it still won't, you won't be putting the results ahead of all the most important things. And I, I think that that is really important. And when you competed, did you have that same outlook of let's just do the best work and then the result will be the result? Um, I definitely needed to earn it. I was not a person who felt deserving of of things. And because uh, I always say I was not groomed to be a champion. Suppose You know, that word champion, whatever that means. Um, that was something that kind of came later in my high school years. And it was made me very uncomfortable. And then I... I Unfortunately, it took me a long time to have a new relationship with that, which is um, none of us are deserving of anything. Do your best and receive like the grace if you happen to, you know, by the way, I've lost on times where I probably played better than other times that I won. So I think that that, you know, you have enough of all that that you it's it's all OK. But yeah, no, I wasn't. It was not easy for me. And but this is not about me. Um, so so. I want to, you, you, you do, you, you say in the book that, um, you know, we have 70,000 thoughts a day and only 6,200 are conscious. And, you know, that the monkey mind is really, it's going full speed all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, something, something that's helped me of late is, and I was just talking to a good friend about this, is the cruddy moments aren't any less cruddy, but simply knowing that okay, that's what this is, helps a lot. Because I think for a lot of years, I would spiral into the the abyss. Like, what if, or this is bad? No, no, it's the worst. And I would just kind of like get sucked down into it. And I think an ability to just be like, okay, I'm heartbroken. Okay, I'm scared. Okay, I feel a little defeated or whatever it might be. And just to accept that and then realize like, okay, and now we'll move through it, I think is very powerful versus... Gosh, it's scary to be heartbroken and then go down that spiral of what that could lead to. So I think just like catching ourselves. Yeah, I think that I think identifying almost the exact thing that you're truly feeling and looking at it, you know, they often talk about that in fear, which really the worst thing we can do is push it down, shove it down, ignore it, you know, turn our back on it instead of like, oh, I feel disappointment or I'm scared now this isn't going to work out. There's something do you, do you use a friend? Do you, cause sometimes doing it alone is one thing, but I find that if you have like a safe person that you can just be like, Hey, I'm feeling this. And they don't even really say anything. Do you, do you have, you said you were talking to a friend about it. Cause you bring this up. So basically earlier this year, it came from me being in a rough spot out of 2020. I'm sure I'm not alone. And I had this just honest moment where I missed being a part of a team and I started a men's group um, and that has been one of the most beautiful things. Uh, and so it started as high achieving men and now we're, you know, obviously not just men need this. So that's becoming a community that I've been running for men and women. And uh, I bring it up because that's where I shared it. I think it's, it, it's, it's like a gym. You clock in, you do your workout, you share things, you get into it. And then what I think is really powerful is it's virtual. You just close it and then you can go back to this life. But uh, mm-hmm. Doesn't it blow your mind when you realize that how similar we all really feel? Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. It's nuts. You have five fail-proof promises and these felt important. 
to me. Um, so it starts with what you just talked about being bravely honest. Yeah. And I, I just got to say, again, I appreciate so much that you read it. And um, the, the promises, I worded them as promises because we don't, we don't have to do them. We don't have to do them. They're not, they're not rules. They're not laws. I would even say you don't have to do follow rules or laws. So they're promises to each of ourselves. And uh, I do think it all starts with brave honesty of just actually looking at a part of ourselves or something in our lives and just saying, this isn't what I'd like it to be. And, and the other one that I really feel, you know, I say choose to believe in yourself. And why I say that is because, again, I, I do think it's a choice. And there's been moments in my life, there was one big one in that college experience where I didn't choose to believe in myself. And worse than actually what happened in the world in my life was that regret of feeling, why didn't I, why didn't I just stand with myself? Why did I, why did I, why did I quit on me? And so why I say choose to believe in yourself is because no matter what freaking happens in the world, you will always know that you, you were dedicated to you and you won't have to deal with that regret of, of, of bailing on yourself. And, and the great thing is, is if we do have that experience is it can be, it's, it is a bit of a bitter, it's a bitter pill. And I think that then we can also experience like, oh, you know what? I don't really ever want to feel like that again. So if for some reason someone has gone through that or is going through that, I think it's, we have to remember that those things taste bad enough that you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be here. I, I won't go through the whole list, but the, one of the promises in the, this one too was to be open to gifts. And, and we mentioned it early, like being deserving. And it, it's conversely, like when everything's going your way, it's nothing you've really done. Yes, you've done your part. You've worked hard. You've shown up. But I think it works. The door swings both ways for people, right? So a lot of it is it's a gift or it's great fortune because there's plenty of people who are as talented as another. They just didn't get put in that situation. And so I, I really felt that that was important. I always admire people that can really like take it all in stride. You know, they receive all this stuff and they're just like, yeah, good, great. I'm like, that's amazing. I get embarrassed or I get uncomfortable, you know, I'm just like, oh, you know. Yeah. So I, I always I always appreciate the, the that group. So let's um let's switch over to the leadership element of the book because I you know, there's a, there's a lot, it's not just about, hey, to, how to take on challenges and new things. There's a, there's a lot of things um, throughout the book. So why, I know you d- did some coaching, um, but maybe you could just share sort of what is important to you about leadership. Yeah. And I, it's funny again, you know, I, I kind of talk about these terms and uh, I don't know, especially as I'm going through life more, I'm realizing that, you know, we all have our own definition of these words and we use these a lot of these words as if we all understand them the same way and, and we don't. And so I think leadership is one of those words. And for me, the most glaring experience of it was my high school lacrosse coach is still a very good friend, uh, Paul Carcaterra, and he's amazing, changed my life, cared about me so much. My college lacrosse coach was a very good, t- <laughs> you know, it was a very good tactical coach, but we did not have any sort of personal bond. And that's not a, a knock on him. I know that he cared about me in his own way and, and, and gave me opportunities. He really did. But I, I found that I, I needed something that wasn't there. And that piece 
is ultimately what led me to winning U.S. Lacrosse Coach of the Year in my first season because I was 25 years old. Right before the season, I was coaching at this intense, prestigious high school in L.A. called Harvard Westlake, and I was yeah, no joke, they're serious. Yeah, they. You know, uh, what I found very quickly was there was all these different groups. I had the players, but then I had my coaching staff. Then I also had the school, which is like you know, it's like a corporation, and then I had the parents, which they're not playing around uh, when it's their kids and their futures and all that. So it was, uh, you know, then there's the opposing teams and the refs and all that. But um, what I found very quickly was great leaders have a bond. And if if a player, if you're all just executing, and this goes, I think, for sports or business or even life in a family, if you're just executing, yes, you'll execute and you'll do fine. But if there's a bond, if an athlete really believes and knows that the coach only wants the best for him or her, then you're, then you're ready to go to war because both people are just in it together. And, and that starts, begins and ends. You can't phone that in. You really do have to build a rapport and can care about people. But I also think that that means being astute enough to understand what e- each athlete, one might need like a shove, like, hey, you got this. One might need a, you know, take it easy. You're doing great. One might need, uh, I don't think you can do it. Why don't you show me different? Like every, you know, like there, there, the psychology is all, is all so different. So I think it's also kind of that, that sort of awareness is, is that's why great coaches are unusual, right? Because if they understand the game and know how to motivate their athletes and flip their switches, because they're all so different, I think that that's imperative. I agree with you. My college coach is still my very dear friend. And I have not, I was a long time ago, I was at college. And, and to your point, I would go, she can call me and get me to do anything because I knew she cared when I played for her so deeply. She yeah. cared for me first as a person, then as the athlete, that you're like, oh, I'll go through a wall for this person, you know? My favorite story is Shaq's, coll- Shaq's college coach. Did you ever hear about Shaquille O'Neal's college coach? No. So, you know, when he, okay, so he was, you know, he was such a monster at LSU. Can you imagine that you're playing against that guy? I mean, he's eating them, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no problem. And so it was Hack-A-Shack where they would actually go and just pull on him, hang on him, do all this stuff. And it got to the point where the co- his coach cared about him so much, he tried to convince Shaq's parents, like, enough with the college, let him go to the pros because he's going to get hurt here. And imagine you're, you're the coach of this guy who's going to be, you know, going to dominate and make you look good. But when it got to the point, because because Shaq's parents were really intense about him staying at university, and the coach got to a point where he's like, "You have got to get him out of here because he's going to be hurt, which is then going to threaten his ability yeah. to yeah. really make a living later." And I always thought, "Oh, that guy's a badass!" Like, that really, you know. Is. So when you when you talk about having a clear target. You know, I think some of us get near, we, we look around in the direction of the bullseye, like, oh, that would be sort of interesting, that over there. It gets, maybe we're not cl- clear. Do you, do you have a different level or a process in which you really hone in on a target? I, I mean, the more, one of the most obsessive times I've ever been, and I'm still pretty obsessive with my goals. And, you know, people call it positive affirmations or whatever it may be. I think, yes, it's that. But I think, you know, like, you know, I'll often look myself in the mirror, you know, morning and night and just say my top five priorities to myself. And I think what it does is recalibrates our system back to, wow, that day was crazy, but this is what's most important. And wow, that dream was crazy, but this is what's most important just because 
so noisy. It's never been noisier to be a human right now. So I think it just, we're re-punching into our GPS. That's most important. But I, you know, I'll also say a danger that I learned this year in American Ninja Warrior is I set two goals for uh, this last season. It was, I hit a buzzer on American Ninja Warrior and I'm an American Ninja Warrior finalist. And I almost wish I didn't set that second goal because to be a finalist, you just need to make it far enough in the course that you advance to the next round. And I remember very distinctly, I was on the fourth obstacle and I felt a little wave. The first three, I was eye of the tiger, like you're doing this on obstacle four. And this is a pretty nuanced answer, but I mean, I know who I'm talking to and, and, and your audience, so I want to share it. I felt a slight drop in intensity and a slight wave of, oh, well, now you're a finalist. You made it to obstacle four. And I don't think, and I made a mistake on that obstacle. And I don't think it's why I made a mistake, but I wonder if I just had that little ratchet of extra intensity and only had one goal of buzzer or nothing I think it would have helped me. So moving forward, and this is part of it, right? So, I mean, literally and figuratively, I did fail. So, uh, but, you know, handle your emotions, learn from it, recommit. My biggest takeaway was only have one goal. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I also think we have many um, sides. All of us have so many sides to ourselves, right? So it's like, your personal self-care, maybe you want to improve in certain, some area of, you know, your physical self, then your mental, you know, we're hopefully trying to learn. And even that can be vague, right? Like for me, I know that I sometimes say in a, in a really vague way, like, I just want to keep learning. And, and maybe I think your point is really interesting because it makes me think that I could even be more specific in that area, you know, and sort of say, well, how does that show up? So, I think it's an interesting thing, or you could do that in your relationship. So I think you could have those very clear, singular ideas, but in, in your facets of your life, I think it would, it would maybe make moving in that direction even easier. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I mean, it's something where you, uh, how many books would you say now you're reading? I mean, it sounds like with, with doing the podcast, you are very committed to the learning avenue. Well, listen, I, I've always been, um, that's, I, if people talk about uh, what makes me, you know, uh, I don't mean this in any weird way, but like they talk about a growth mindset, you know, I think by nature and also it helps. I live with a, per my husband is also really very much like that on my own. I might've gotten more lazy, but I think it's, I have a built-in mechanism of someone I can bounce stuff off of. And also when you have someone close to you kind of always moving, you're like, oh, well I should move, you know, like I should get, keep 
I should know new stuff, you know, but I I just, there's something about that because then, um, you know, I heard a quote uh, the other day that I thought was excellent, which was, you know, you don't live in the world that you're born in right? Um, Mark Cuban said his dad used to say that, that we we are born into one world, but we don't actually live in that world. And so I'm trying to understand the world I'm living in, because quite frankly, you know, zero to eight is a world for me a long time ago. And so I think it's just that too, where you're just trying to stay aware because you're hard, you know, the way your brain's hardwired and things, it's like, it's completely different. Like when somebody tries to explain NFTs to me, I swear to you, I'm like, Okay, can we can you explain that to me one more time? Why does that have value? But I'm just saying like this is I'm here. I might as well understand a little bit about what's going on. And it's it makes it more fun, you know, and then you don't harden up like some old crusty, you know, these kids today. I mean, it's like, you know, something else. You say in your book that there is no such thing as an expert. Uh, yeah. What do you mean by that? I believe that fully. Uh <laughs> I just I think we can use certain things like a degree or like a job title or like an accomplishment and just stand on that and almost act as if, and I just experienced it. You know, lacrosse was one where I really saw it um, because that was my dream, right? That was my dream to play college lacrosse. I did it. And then after I was a quote unquote expert in this world, meaning I played division one, I was a one us lacrosse coach of the year. I'm now coaching all these athletes whose dream it is to go off and play college lacrosse. So I'm a gatekeeper. I'm an expert. And then I would finish practice. I would change clothes in my car and I would go off and do comedy and I'd go off and do acting classes where I was just starting out and a newbie and I'd see other gatekeepers and other experts deciding my success and my future. And it just made things very clear. And I've just seen this, whether it's in my journey, you know, so I share in the book about my mom's cancer diagnosis and how the first doctor missed that. And it's not only that world though. And I joke about how we've all gotten a haircut that was good and bad. You've all gone to a great dentist or a horrible dentist. And I just, I also saw going, going to an Ivy League school for whatever that's worth, that there was a, a certain amount of pretentiousness and it's undeserved. People either show up, care about what they do and do a good job or they don't. And it doesn't matter if you are cutting hair or if you're doing surgery or you're just being a friend or a romantic partner. You either care and do your best or you don't. Hmm. I think that's important because I think we get intimidated by all of that, you know, construct around those things. And and then we can't see ourselves even dipping our toe in some in something if we want to try because we're like, well, that's not for us. So I think that's an important, really important point. What you talk about this, is, I, I'm just curious, and I, I do actually want to talk about your mom because that I, you can tell, and if you look your book a, a bit, and clearly on your social media, the you know you're your mom's son. You know what I mean, like a mother and a son. And you do talk about sort of your dad being a bit tough, like and and not purposely, like just okay. And, and do you think? Because I wonder that even as a parent, we always joke like I'm, I can't wait to hear how I screwed my kids up. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. You laugh. It's true. Like you go, I'm going to do this over here really good. And they go, yeah. And over here, it's all screwed up. It's like, oh gosh. Like, I think that is the job title. Yeah. Um, honestly. And you'll just do a lot of apologizing on Thanksgiving dinner. But, you know, you talked about your dad sort of instilling that he was like this idea of like, not perfection, but 
there was some, there was definitely the sense of expectation or do it right or do it, you know, all these things. How do you think that that had a long-term impact? And, and if it did, it seems like you've redefined it, but what, how did you do that? And did you ever talk to him about it? I, well, you did. I mean, I know you guys, maybe you didn't talk about it, but you connected obviously, but maybe you could just sh- share that story. Cause it's. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I do think a lot of high achieving people, something in their upbringing gave them that drive. I, I, I am hoping and I'm seeing that I'm, I, I believe there are people who had really beautiful, non-traumatic upbringings who have that drive, but I haven't met as many. Uh, I hope that that's the new generation maybe is it will be that. Um, because for better or worse, there is firepower in it. Um, when we use it, when we channel it for a good direction. And, um, I, I, you know, I know that you've had big things and in your upbringing that, that I'm sure have had tremendous impact on, on you and, and, and your goals. And, you know, when it comes to me and my dad, um, I love him so much and I will, I say in the book, I'm going to have to have a tough conversation with him. I think, you know, it's a tough conversation because we're about one, 10 days out from the book being live and I got to still have that conversation. So, uh, but it's, Wait, you didn't show your dad. Wait a second. You didn't show your dad like the galley. No, he doesn't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. It's not that bad. It's not just, at all. Maybe, he does, but maybe he doesn't understand. Can you just share the story that yeah. that was your perception? Cause a lot of times it's done. Like I'm here to help you. It's okay. It's this time of the night. We're doing our math homework, whatever, but maybe you could just share. Cause this just goes to show us. We don't really know how our actions impact others at times. Yeah. And, and I want to say like my dad, and this is something that I say in the book is very intense and also very intense in a loving and supportive way. But I think that sometimes that intensity and I get it was too much for this human body. And it's like, how do I handle this level of love and intensity and support? And, and I think it would just bubble out and come out in some, some ways that weren't always the greatest. Um, and one of those, you know, a few are popping in my head, but, uh, one of those was, you know, when he used to be a math teacher, now he's a dentist and a surgeon, but I would come home and he would tap on his desk, uh, for me to do my math homework and bring it in front of them. And you had to use pencils. They had to be extremely sharp. We had to have three lined up and we would do it. And if I got a problem wrong, you wouldn't just erase it. You would erase it so intensely that it would rip through the paper. And so all my papers that I would turn in would have like, they would barely, they would have like the thinnest layer of paper there. And it was, what I'm thankful for is that what he instilled in me is I have to do my best at everything. And if I don't, it, it does feel gross to me. So I'm thankful for that. I really am. And he supported me so much. There's not, I can't think of a tennis match or a hockey game or a lacrosse, or I joke, I showed some promise in chess and then I was in a chess tournament. The support was there and I'm so grateful for it. There was just some times where, you know, the intensity overstepped. I remember when I was a high uh, middle school hockey, I wasn't doing that great for whatever reason. And he would yell at the coach or excuse me, he would yell at the, um, my coach to put me on the ice. He would yell over the ice in front of everyone. And I just basically wanted to disappear. So I would go on the ice, but then I would basically try to be invisible, which is not how you want to play a sport. All that's to say, I, I think, you know, in the last chapter of life, the most recent one, my dad and I have really gotten a lot closer. And I think I've, there was one chapter where I basically said, dad, this is the only parameters that you and I can engage in. And in this last chapter, the last handful of years, 
I'd expressed to him that I've, I've wanted to share more with him of the ups and the downs. And, and I'm, I'm really grateful and proud of how he's shown up for me in the down moments out of like love and understanding, not just, you know, why was it not a success? Do you, is he able, like, are you able to see him? Cause I also think we're more sensitive um, as a child, right? Like we don't, maybe dad came home from work and he had stress and we take all the energy as it's directed at us, but maybe it's not. And he's thinking about, um, you know, bills or money or who knows, right? Like we kids and, and that's not kids problems, but are you seeing him? And of course he's probably mellowed uh, one would hope, like hopefully we continue to grow up as we grow up, you know, but do you think also you're able to see him differently as an adult to adult? And, um, and you, you said you've created some boundaries or parameters, but do, do you feel like you got to really say, Hey, by the way, because the reason I bring it up is I was confronted by my now 18 year old when she was probably 16 about, um, cause I'm intense. And when I'm in a work day, I have, you know, like everybody, 50 things on my mind. And if I walked into a room because she's sensitive, she saw, she took it on as something disapproval, disapproving of her instead of I was just being intense. <laughs> and, and so that got brought to my attention and I was like, you know what, this has nothing to do with you. And I'm going to make that more clear so that there isn't a misunderstanding. But sometimes we don't know, like, I don't know if you were ever able to say to him, you know, however lightly, by the way, you know, like you're, you're a pretty intense guy. Yeah. Well, I just want to echo back. That's pretty cool that your daughter felt comfortable enough to say that to you. That really is. Oh yeah. My, my kids are not afraid of my husband and I in any way. And they're, I mean, listen, you actually wish that they do it sooner um, because you, it's your chance, you get your chance sooner to be like, oh, I can, I can do that differently or better. Um, you know, you don't want them to be 40 and be like, oh my God, we could have made this so much better so much sooner. But, and you know, really, if a parent can't hear it, that's not the kid's problem. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to talk to your dad? Oh, I am. And I, I think that <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be on the call. We're going to do a three-way podcast. Let's do it. That's right. No, but I mean, why not? Because it's a chance for him. It is. And I think there's a way, you know, I, I really do feel like he is now showing up in a way that is what, what I hoped for. I, I think I want to bring it to his attention, you know, not in like a, a shaming or like give him regret, you know, because there's no need for that. But I maybe just voicing like, I, I, I guess, you know, that this is was my experience. This is my experience with it. It didn't feel good to be yelled at a lot. <laughs> no. And I think it's an opportunity to, I think we carry little wounds with us. And every chance we get, if we can just heal little wounds, I think there's nothing that we, we should do that. Even though it's like, oh, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm successful. Because if, you know, it's there and it's a chance to do it and he's here, you know, I think it's, in, it, that's interesting, but it, it conversely seems like you have a very different dynamic with your mom. Tell me, first of all, how your mom is doing. She's doing great. And thank you. And, um, you know, they are different. And just to kind of like sum up my dad one, but I, I will say, you know, something that I am really grateful for, for my dad is that I do have a high drive and a high, I want big achievements. And I do think that came a lot. I think that was a 
you know, be open to the gifts, right? Though it sometimes came in a rough way, that is a gift. I do have a strong work ethic now. I do have drive and high goals. And so, yeah, I, I want to thank my dad for that. And my mom is just, she's just pure love. My, she's just pure love and good. And she's tough. Like I'm reminded now in her treatments you know, just what, what kind of, what kind of cancer does your yeah, mom have? So she had stage four endometrial uh, cancer and it was diagnosed late. And so she did chemo, um, which, you know, did its job. And then she is a health and wellness person. So then we went to different uh, cities and countries for more, more intense, but uh, natural approaches. Like, you know, and, and, and those, you know, talk for another day, you got to leave the country to get like high dose vitamin C, which is an odd uh, thing. Um, a talk for another Did day. She, yeah. Yes, of course. I'm just curious though, because a lot of people go through this. Were, were there any treatments for her specifically? You're not suggesting them for other people, but just for her in her journey, what, did anything um, positively impact uh, her health and support her? Was there anything that you were, you know, because I, I've heard, you know, have a lot of friends that have gone through this with their parents where they leave and they do certain treatments. I'm just curious if anything supported her. Yeah. You know, I, I really think, and some of them are very foundational. One of them is just eating ridiculously clean from the earth, good stuff. And if we do that over and over and over again and compound, it, it has... It's easy to kind of brush off and be like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool, but give me the drugs. It is a ridiculously impactful way of of helping ourselves. So I know that- And the downside is zero. See, that's what's right. so great about it. Right. I know that mushrooms, like mushrooms are her favorite thing on earth. Uh, we, we bond about that. So you can't have too many mushrooms. Um, and, you know, she does take a lot of supplements, but they are all kind of natural. And, um, you know, two places I'll share that she went to uh, was Hope for Cancer in uh, that one was, uh, well, in Cancun and Tijuana and then Cancer Center for Healing, which is in California. Um, and just, you know, I think it's really important if someone is going on that journey, what I would say is ask around because not only type A intense Western medicine is amazing and has a time and a place and it's very effective, but there's so many other ways that can be used in conjunction with it. And I would just say be open to that. I would, I would agree. I always think we have to be our own, own, you know, best advocate for our health. And um, so how has this journey, cause you, you've, it, it really seems that you've been with her in this journey and inter, intertwined. How has has that, has that made you even less scared because you're like, Hey, cause you say in your book, your big question was, what do you uh, want for your moments on earth? And now I would imagine this brings this into hyper-focus with this situation with your mom. You know, what, what have you learned? Because it, people forget, like it's the people who love someone who's going through this, have their own, you know, sort of own challenges as well. It's a great question. I'm, I'm kind of reminding myself right now. I think one of them is, you know, yesterday I, I caught up with her and, um, you know, I'm being a human and, and maybe a little bratty. I'm tired and I'm hungry and I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten home all day. And I, I can feel myself maybe not being, you know, the warmest and just kind of like, oh, I got to go. And, and another voice comes in my head that is just like, be so grateful that you're on the phone with her right now. And so I think that is a gift that I always want to have. And when I'm with her now and I see her, I feel like I'm very much with her. And uh, I, I think just a greater gratitude and appreciation for the moments of life. Yeah. 
Overall, though, how, and I asked you, and I apologize because yeah. I went off on another tangent. How is she doing? Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny, and I feel like you'll totally understand this. I always say she's on the journey. And some of that is my own baggage of I don't like to talk about things before they're done or set. And I always just like to stay in it. It's kind of what you were talking about about not going to the result and let's just do our best work. It's exactly that. And I know that I have, I have, confidence that if we keep pouring into being on top of it, being on top of treatments, being on top of supplements, then it will keep going well. But it's like the moment that you say we're better. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it doesn't. Yeah. 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 But she, but yeah. And she, uh, when I, I, besides obviously the book, I, I've seen pictures of your mom and she, she looked, I mean, she looks good. She looks healthy. She looks. Thanks. Well, I'll tell you well, I'm just saying she has, and also she looks when you two are together, you both look like you, you know, when you see people in a picture together that really love each other, they, you both can see it, you know, you can see oh. it on both of them. So that, that comes across very That's strongly. Cool. Now it's, it's easy That's to cool. see that you're, you're probably a sen- sensitive person and um, you talk about learning to control that's not a bad word, by the way. Control your emotions. <laughs> yeah. What What were, because, you know, like, let's say you're in a work environment or, or something. Sometimes certain things are, they don't, they're not going to help us or support us. The, you know, we almost need to go into a different side of ourselves. How did you learn? Where did you get the skills to, because you talk about it in your book, like, you know, you learned how to control your emotions. I think, and, and it's still a work in progress, but in one of those yeah. groups someone shared today that uh, in one of those like, you know, success groups that are, that are run, someone shared that a quality popped out of them that was, they thought was had them been in their life for five years and then it popped out. And so I think we're all still, we're all still on it. But I would say like coaching was the biggest one because I just realized how I, I joked that after a bad call, like a slash and a whistle or whatever, or they, you know, they made a the ref made a horrible call, whatever it is, there was almost, you could visualize there was the whistle and then, ah, like the whole crowd, everyone would have an emotional reaction. And then two seconds later it would settle and you could do something effective about it. And so anytime that would happen, I would literally just wait and then do something because to yell at the ref while everyone screamed, it just made no sense to yell at that player while it made no sense. So I think just understanding that emotions can be pretty chaotic, but also I do think there's a time and a place for, for using our emotions and, you know, in an athletic setting, sometimes you do need to just do it, you know, not to be a cliche here, but like. Sometimes no matter how you feel at that time, you just got to operate. And I think that that is also a really healthy way to be too. Yeah, I think we need that in the right moment because there isn't time. And and also, I think it's about what do you want from this situation? And so if it's what's the action that's going to get me closer to what I want. So if I'm in a conflict with a loved one, I want to work it out. I don't, but honestly, which also could mean you've got to fully express yourself, but you could do it maybe in a less damaging way. Yes. Um, it isn't, is your goal to be right then versus like, Hey, I want to work it out. If you're in work, it's like you and I are on a team and we both want to kick ass. I might, you may not even like me, but we want to get this account or whatever. Yeah. It's like whatever that is. So I, I think if if that 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 distance that space um, I think is is really important um, 
And then there's, I don't know. I mean, I think, I feel like sometimes losing your mind, you know, like just being a total like emotional outburst, unless it was something out of your control, like a something sad, let's say. But an aside from that, I feel like it's almost a fire that you build that takes over you and burns you versus like, okay, well, let me just take a moment here. Instead of, you know, you just have this outburst and then all of a sudden you're in a big flame, you know? And like I said, with the exception of like, hey, something happens to your dog or a loved one, then, you know, we should feel how we we, we totally feel. But um, there's, a, there's a quote in, uh, and forgive me, I'm not sure, um, Callie Russell, I just want to put this to people oh, yeah. because it, it was very, I thought it was something about this and it's frustration is the scent of learning. And I I don't need to explain it. I just think it's important when people hear that. So when you're in that, because also we connect frustration with something negative, but it's not, right? It's yeah. maybe it's, if we could it, switch it and be like, oh, this is, I'm on to, I'm yeah. in the, and I'm learning. I think that's, that's really a beautiful way to express it. What is, what, because you're, you're a dream guy, you're a goal person, What's in your mind? Like, what do you, and I know you don't like to say things before they happen and all that, but what is there? Because I think it's a, you know, you appear to be in a forward motion. What is it that you, that inside you're like, I really want to do that. It doesn't have to be professional. I think, you know, my real just depth, honest answer is that I feel like I have, and this is also when it comes to like deserving and, you know, the imposter syndrome and all that. I feel like these last years I've been, stepping into who I really feel like I could be and then also dealing with like, maybe I'm not, or maybe it won't happen, or maybe I don't deserve it and life can't be that. And I can't be that for other people. And, you know, really this next chapter of life, just to see if I can be who I hope I can be. Um, That's a good goal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I think we, we put so much into the external instead of, I think the real deep success comes from the very simple, you know, everyday real life relationships and self-expression. And, and, um, and I think that that's really an important goal. So you, you put a lot of work into this book. How long did it take you? Well, the subject matter and stories and all that, I'd kind of been digging at my life for the last, you know, couple of years, but really where I had to write it and put it into it. Uh, yeah. which was for better or worse, a good thing. I had about, about 30 days to write the first draft. And I'm actually <laughs> thankful for that because it meant I I kind of what? Not, say, well, I was just like, all right, well. You have a, you have a mean editor. Who is that? Whoa. <laughs> it was one of those where like, you know, you could call it a miscommunication, but nothing just happens. <laughs> I think I had a piece in that. I definitely had a piece in that. Uh <laughs> I'm big at that, but yeah. <laughs> Just a miscommunication. You're like, I thought you said 300 days. No, 30 days. You know what it was? Just not to go off on a tangent, but it was, I think I was like, wow, that's going to be so much work to write a book, right? Even though I'm excited, it's still going to be a lot. So I'll just wait for an email from them that says time to start. And that's when I'll start. And then one day I got an email that said, so, or something to the effect of like, you know, Alex, this is when your first deadlines, whatever. And I got an email from that was just like, Hey, just wanted to see how your first draft's going. As you know, you have 30 days. And I was like, all right, excuse me, hold on. Let's talk about this for a second here. Uh, But it was good because it made me not indulge all of my insecurities. Cause I was like, I only got 30 days. So you got this thing right now. 
If if you had sort of hopes for what people would get or take away, everyone's going to do it differently. What was what was your hope besides, you know, kind of sharing certain experiences that you 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 could encapsulate and tell in a story? What what were you hoping? That you can do things you didn't think you could do. And that when you unlock that, it can feel like these walls drop down mm. in your life. And now relationships can look different. Who you are can look different. Your work can look different. That would be my biggest hope is for people to know that. Have your close friends, wait, who's your one close friend, Rob? Wait, oh, what's yeah. your one friend? I was watching this morning. Yeah. Rob. Oh, you're t- confessing about your bad, your bad old habits. Um, is that who you told? Yep. You're like, Rob, check this out. Look what I did. (laughs) Do you have your friends let you let you go beyond the old definition of you? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. And that's tough, right? Um, Some friends are are newer. Some friends haven't. And I've had to kind of like, I don't want to say say goodbye, but that sucks. It's tough. It's tough when you know someone from a chapter and they're not willing to see you in a different light. And obviously there's a time and a place for like rehashing old stories and going into that mode a little bit, but nobody wants to talk about college lacrosse forever. Okay. (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. No, but I guess the point is, is that you do sometimes have to be like, I do love you. But if you, it is very hard for people who get on, we get on the train together earlier in life at times, depending on the dynamic to allow the change. It's almost, it's almost like our family. You know, I have that sometimes with my kids. I'm like, wait, how do they know that? That's amazing. (laughs) You know, and you have to be like, oh, wait, I have to look at you now for who you are in this moment. So I just wondered, because if you've made all these big changes, which you have quite a bit, just even, you know, your career or whatever, I just wondered if your friends could go on that journey with you. Many have. And I've been like, there's one guy I'm thinking of in particular who really, I think, sees me for whatever it, the externals may look like, whether I'm whatever right. career, you know, and that really means a lot. And I'm sure you've seen that too with, with your different career chapters. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a, I had a tendency to pick friends that just were into who I was as a human being Great. and they know your essence. And sometimes they act surprised. They're like, whoa, I didn't know you were going to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I know me neither. <laughs> Especially from when I was really young. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I think I could have, it could have gone one of two ways very easily for, for, for me. All right, Alex, I maybe just remind everybody, uh, the book is Fail Proof, Become the Unstoppable You. And maybe just remind, did you do audio? Yeah. Oh, nice. That doesn't take too long, does it? Wait. So on that note, I was like, oh, I can record this in two days. I was like three hours in. I'm like, why am I winded? I'm, I have no voice. So it took a lot oh, yeah. longer than I thought. Any 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 words that you remember not being able to um, enunciate? Oh, gosh. There was one that Come was on. like perpetual. <laughs> Perpetual something with another P, and I, I did. I, I apologize to the editor on, and I go, "I'm so sorry. This is take 15." <laughs> it's the way it goes. So tell everyone where they can find you, and um, and your book is coming out very soon. What is it, November second? Yeah, so quite yeah. soon. It'll be out by the time this comes out. Your book is out. People can find it anywhere books are the hard ones are sold or i would say i would say to people yes if you're if the only way you listen to or digest books at this time absolutely do the audible but this has a, a little bit of um 
you know, sort of there's a real like last points in every chapter, kind of takeaways, reminders. So even if you don't want to reread the book later, you could flip through and be like, oh yeah, those four or five points. So I would say that this is that kind of book if you want to really drill down. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, and it's on, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. If you resonate with it, that would be amazing if you pick it up and write a review and um, let me know and I'll, I'll get you in our success groups, which are free and just uh, to support you to your goals. And then direct people how they can follow you and follow your journey as you go. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's at I'm Alex Weber on all the things, one being Weber. Um, yeah. And all the social media uh, spots. Well, I I thank you for your time and I appreciate your candor. You're very transparent in your book and and just sharing that. I appreciate it. In 30 days, pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, 30 days. No, thank you. Truly, thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to doing this and uh, I'm just a huge fan of yours. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe and leave us a review. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.